this is a show about what rules us. Instead of conflict or force, we propose grace. Tolerance is good, forgiveness is better, but grace is ideal. Grace is empathy and favor for someone who has said or done something we don't like. It's the attempt to understand someone instead of simply condemning them to enemy status. How could this approach solve social problems? And what is the basis for this view? We explore that here on Gracearchy. Our sponsor is a group built around an ethic we admire, the Zero Aggression Principle. Check out the Zero Aggression Project at www.zeroaggressionproject.org. Did toxic political rhetoric cause the brutal attack on Paul Pelosi, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband? It's become the latest sort of vicious partisan battleground, even before the full facts are known, man. A police haven't yet figured it all out and ascribed a motive and all of that. But this guy attacked Paul Pelosi with a hammer in his home in the middle of the night. There seems to be some agreement that the, the I don't know, would you call it a, a break-in attack? But it, there was intent. There was intent because the man was shouting, where is Nancy, the whole time uh, when she wasn't home. And Paul Pelosi's in surgery. By the way, we wish him well. And we do not ever condone violence as do no harm libertarians on grace archy. 100%. I want, to be, I want to echo that same thing. And we wish him a full and speedy recovery as well. Absolutely. But Jim, Jim, I know we, we chatted like for 30 seconds about this the other day. Has political speech gotten out of hand? Let's get into it. Uh, I want to quote Joe Biden to start this out because President Joe Biden what makes us think that one party can talk about stolen elections, COVID being a hoax? This is all a bunch of lies. And have it not affect people who may be you know, well-balanced and listening and, and appreciative of what's going on? But what makes us think that that doesn't affect the political climate? I would ask Mr. Biden the same question last year when he was calling at this very same time last year, when he was calling it the pandemic of the unvaccinated, when he was trying to make it seem as if a bunch of Americans were, and the data was already in at that point, that uh, it was no longer true, if it ever was, that uh, getting a vaccine was going to prevent transmission. He still continued to utter this phrase into December. And it was, for me, the, the worst time of the pandemic of all, because People were so hostile towards each other by that point. Americans were at each other's throat over this. So, you know, we have to be careful about rhetoric at all times, Mr. President. Any Anyone who holds that title. Mm -hmm. Anyone. And, and, you know, as concerned as we are about acts of political violence, which some have been calling domestic terrorism, isn't the question here, don't you have a responsibility? If you're going to say something, don't you have a responsibility for the consequences of what you say in, at some level? I, I don't actually believe in general that you do. Uh, there may be specific edge cases that we could talk about where you have certain responsibilities for giving certain orders and so forth. And most of that's covered under our criminal law already. But in general, no. I think when people are looking at this question, Bill, they tend to make a mistake about supply versus demand. 
You know, supply and demand, right? Yeah, that's a big stretch, though, because you're taking economics into a social situation here. <laughs> well, economics is social. Economics is human action. That's what economics is. So why do you do the things you do? What are the incentives that cause you to act the way that you do? Yes. To not buy something yes. is by nature economic. Yes. Uh, if you take, uh, the, my favorite example is if you take the car instead of the plane on your next vacation, and you did so because you don't like the airport experience for whatever reason, maybe it's the TSA, maybe it's something else. And you say, I'm going to take the car instead of a, an airplane. That is an economic decision. Right. So, yeah. so uh, there's a, as far as I'm concerned, there's an inevitability of supply when demand is to be found. And what I mean by that is there are, is that people are going to uh, provide the fodder, the fake news, whatever it is, as long as there is a demand for it. And there has been a substantial and growing demand because people don't believe that they're represented by the regime media. And as, and, and I, I use that term purposely. I've been using this since 2003 when we said that everybody wanted to go to war in Iraq and you know we were these lone voices out there. We talked about this in uh, previous episodes when, with uh, Truth About War warning people that there were no weapons of mass destruction. That Saddam Hussein was not the threat that George W. Bush was pretending he was. But our media was 100% down with it because they are very much in bed with the state and it's good for business. And and that's where their real interest lies. So I, I'm suggesting that there will always be a market for this. And if you aren't going to do something specifically to deal with the demand issue, if you aren't going to try to create an environment where that demand isn't going to really have a mark, isn't going to form a market, there won't be a supply for it. Now, the, the let me flip this around because the real problem and the thing that people need to understand best about this is these people who will put out this information will always be there. And every solution on the supply side has to do with censorship, cancellation, some form of punishment. And we have to end up giving some uh, degree of liberty away. And then these questions, as we've discussed in previous episodes, become a political question. They're not a question about truth anymore. They're not a question about science. They're not a question about facts. They're not a question about, uh, they're just, they're strictly who has the political power to enforce that. And if, inevitably, you run up against, uh, we're going to have to do a whole episode about, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm going to call it Babka's Razor, where the other <laughs> side's going to get the party, get the power eventually, right? It's so... Those are the only solutions on the supply side. And I'm arguing that the problem is on the demand side. Why do so many people want news that caters towards inciting additional violence, towards uh, conspiracy theories? Like, what is it that's driving this behavior in the first place? And I think that's a multifaceted question to get into. The but sure, yeah. there we can apply other solutions other than cancellation and censorship. So, so think about this. This is one last thing to say about this. Think about this, an odd twist. You know, Gandhi suggested that in an eye for eye culture, everyone ends up blind, right? Now the math might be questionable on that, but, but, but you get the general gist, right? So if we have a cancel culture, sooner or later, we got to cut out everybody's tongues, right? And we're all dumb. And so I, I, it's it's inevitable that if this continues sooner or later, and we've already seen uh, some evidence of this along the way, that the cancelers themselves turn on each other. 
There's a, there's a virtue signal fight to the bitter end on that front. So this cannot be the long-term solution to the problems that we're experiencing right now. So the way I understand what you've said is that we have a demand for something. And this is going to sound prejudiced. Let's say we have a demand for fake news. Mm -hmm. The demand exists. Maybe it's not you or me, but there's a demand for that. So the media responds by supplying less than you know, well-researched uh, news. I'm not even going to call it facts or truth. I'll just say it's news. And that sort of starts the site. It makes the spin cycle increase. Yes. Because some people are going to go, why are all these other people so committed to this obviously wrong uh, opinion? What's going on there? So that that creates a second level of demand, right? And then the news reports on how big the demand is growing for all of this stuff that started out as fake news or maybe conspiracy theories or whatever started out small and has now grown big thanks to QAnon. But let's let's take a current example of that, which would be, well, it's not current anymore, but January 6th, right? So the, the assault on the Capitol building. Wasn't the rhetoric that preceded that part of this cycle? There was a mm -hmm. demand for it? So the rhetoric doesn't create the demand. The demand was already there and the rhetoric showed up to fill the vacuum. There we go. That's what I wanted to get to. I understand. And, and, and try marketing something that nobody wants, right? <laughs> How good are you going to be at selling refrigerators to Eskimos type of thing? Right. Okay. Right. So there's obviously some demand for it there. I was there at the start of the Tea Party. And I was there because we had something called the Read the Bills Act. And lots of people who are in the Tea Party movement were attracted to this idea. And I was invited to come and speak at various places. Every time I went and did this, I spoke out against some of the worst elements of this and encouraged people to focus on transpartisan solutions, stuff that was going to bring the country together, like the Read the Bills Act. Because honestly, if you were outside of the Beltway in Washington, D.C., everybody agreed with this. It didn't matter what your political affiliation was. So... And, and we had other ideas like the one subject of time, right? The laws. We talked about those transpartisan ideas. Um, and an Occupy movement grew up at the same time. And what we have right now is a disaffected group of people who've gotten very angry and entire ecosystems has been built up around the fact that certain news that they expect to see and read and hear doesn't get credence or coverage. And that the media is very clearly willing to go to extraordinary lengths to try to correct facts and, and, and in so doing ends up being on a side. And so increasingly the patchwork solutions that have been applied to this have actually continued to mark. And, and what's worse about all of this is this, there seems to be from my perspective, um, and I'm, I'm open to being proven wrong that this seems to run mostly in one direction from the, from, from the regime media, from the establishment sources, the New York Times, the Washington Post, CNN, Fox News, uh, MSNBC. There seems to be like a, a track that most of this stuff runs on. And there's, there, there's a, a difference in terms of the coverage that people are choosing for themselves now because they don't trust those sources. 
And I think those sources have to have, I think maybe already past point, but they should have been having some pretty serious uh, uh, introspection. But, you know, this kind of runs both ways. I mean, you know, let's just, for example, this is an example that's kind of dear to my heart. I've met Rand Paul. I uh, He sponsored the bills I just mentioned. Right. Okay. Right. Rand Paul was attacked by his neighbor. He was tackled blindside while he was on a tractor and crushed onto the ground in such a way that his ribs broke and a lung got damaged. And he actually had to go into surgery. And it was actually pretty serious. And he was at the softball game where Steve Scalise was shot. And that was a Bernie supporter at the time. And yep, at the time I, I was like, this is not the Bernie support. This is not Bernie Sanders fault. No, this no. Is, Bernie Sanders didn't put this person up to this. And the key thing is that's not how the media chose to cover it either. But Rand Paul, and this is an, an irony of this particular situation. Alexander Pelosi in March of 2020 wrote a tweet. Alexander Pelosi is Paul Pelosi's daughter. Speaker Pelosi's daughter. She's a documentary filmmaker. Rand Paul's neighbor was right. It's a direct quote. It's a direct tweet. Twitter pulled that thing down, which is fairly consistent for Twitter's policy. But she was actually endorsing at that moment an act of political violence against a sitting elected official. She was giving it her stamp of approval. I see how that works, and um, I think it's I think I think it'd be a good idea to introduce a more current uh, stance on that. Can we? Can we? <laughs> well, we've got a we've got a clip conveniently. I'd like to share yes. with everybody. This was this was just on Face the Nation over the past weekend. This is uh, Margaret Brennan talking to Representative Tom Emmer, who is leading the Republican charge to uh, take back the House. He's the the campaign committee chairman amongst his colleagues in the Republican side of the House of Representatives. And he's denouncing violence, and but he's going to defend the midterm focus on Pelosi. Let's listen to this clip. It's a little over a minute. I want to ask you about this when it comes to political violence. On your Twitter feed, you posted this video we're going to show just a few days ago where you're firing a gun and it says, enjoyed exercising my Second Amendment rights, Hashtag fire Pelosi. Why is there a gun in a political ad at all? It wasn't an ad. Hashtag I was, I was or a tweeting tweet. Out, I was tweeting out Hashtag something that I had just Hashtag fire Pelosi with a weapon. Well, now wouldn't you're, a pink slip be more fitting if it's about firing her? It's interesting, Margaret. It's interesting, Margaret, that we're talking about this this morning. When a couple of years back, when a Bernie Sanders supporter shot Steve Scalise, which was horrendous when a Bernie and Sanders horrific, supporter which is shot why we Steve Scalise, I never heard you weapons. or anyone else in the media trying to blame Democrats for what happened. We need to stay we focused on what we're all doing. We did extensive coverage of what happened to Ex Steve Scalise. Me? There's extensive Nobody news tried sir. to equate Democrats' rhetoric. People I'm not say, talking about your rhetoric. I'm talking about what you posted. You're shooting same. a gun. Our viewers just saw it. Yeah, right. Hashtag fire Pelosi. Exercising our Second Amendment rights, having That's fun. That's not a debate about the Second Amendment. Yeah. That's not a debate about the Second Amendment. Hashtag yes, fire Pelosi. Yes, it is. I, I'm, Do you I'm not running understand that that is suggestive to people who are in a bad state and in this current environment, how risky it is? As you're talking well, I, about the importance of lowering the rhetoric. I disagree with Why you. Why do you leave that up? Again, I never saw anyone after Steve Scalise was shot by a I'm Bernie Sanders about right supporter now, trying to equate, equate Democrat now. rhetoric with those actions. 
Please don't. Do so that. he's right. This shouldn't have been done. She's she's purposely making this equation. She's she wants there to be every time. OK, so we're doing a show right now. OK, and it's possible that somebody in our audience at the moment, even though we have laid out at the beginning that we don't want to be violent, even though and, and we oppose it, even though we've wished Paul Pelosi well and we want a quick and speedy recovery, even though every other episode we've talked about has been consistent with that point of view, then there is there is still the opportunity that someone could pick up a coded message of some kind that's in their head or get off in some way and then go out and do something that they shouldn't have done. And her comparison, listen, everybody understands pretty well that... Uh, the, the congressman was inside of a gun range and that Nancy Pelosi does not agree with broad, you know, uh, open gun rights, right? She's opposed to that. There's no way that there was an intent on his part to suggest that you should go shoot Pelosi. That's not in the ad. That's something she's applying to. In fact, I maybe we should stop and do a test on her mental uh, health right now that she sees that. In there that she thinks that that's what was being suggested to her because there's no way that that's what was being suggested in the ad and it was completely consistent to have those two things there but this is the direction that they've they've gone there's been several times where right-wing violence which is wrong abhorrent and bad has been equated but it hasn't been done on the left side like it was and this was this this steve scalise shooting I mean, he was just the one guy that got it. I mean, everybody had to run for cover. This was a congressional softball game and a shooter shows up and starts doing what shooters do. You know, he's trying to affect a, a mass casualty event. And there were other Republicans that were shot at and, and, and so forth. He felt targeted, motivated to do it as a Bernie Sanders supporter. And there's no way that Bernie Sanders had said anything that justified that behavior. I want to um, perhaps yeah. throw some cold water on this a little bit. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Um, and I think this is perfect. A little bit earlier on, uh, Jim sent me this video file. It's attack ads from 1800. So think about who's running for president. But the point here is to say this has always characterized the American debate. The American political debate has always been ugly. And it's not fun, but... Uh, let's take a listen and then continue Some this political watchers are saying this could be the nastiest, most negative election season of all time. This campaign season seems like candidates have taken dirty to a whole new level. When pundits start shouting and politicians start calling each other's names, it can seem like a return to civility is not possible. Like they, the very idea is a relic of some bygone, bygone era. John Adams is a blind, bald, crippled, toothless man who wants to start a war with France. While he's not busy importing mistresses from Europe, he's trying to marry one of his sons to a daughter of King George. Haven't we had enough monarchy in America? I'm Thomas Jefferson, and I approve this message because John Adams is a hideous, hermaphroditical character with neither the force and firmness of a man nor the gentleness and sensibility of a woman. If Thomas Jefferson wins, murder, robbery, rape, adultery, and incest will be openly taught and practiced. The air will be rent with the cries of the distressed. The soil will be soaked with blood and the nation black with crimes. Are you prepared to see your dwellings in flames? 
female chastity violated, children writhing on a pike. I'm John Adams, and I approve this message because Jefferson is the son of a half-breed Indian squaw raised on hoe cakes, and Hamilton is a Creole bastard brat of a Scotch peddler. The nastiest, most negative election candidates have taken dirty to a whole new It can level. seem like a return to civility is not possible. And that's from like 2010, right? Yes, you hatchet face yes. nutmeg dealer. <laughs> yes, hatchet face. I think uh, I think we we need some new terms. We're running out of them. <laughs> I, I want to bring that back. That that's that's very novel, right? That's Let's beautiful. bring that one back. That's beautiful. <laughs> and, and, and why not? I mean, we don't want to minimize the seriousness of how this happens, but at some point down the road, it doesn't seem entirely clear to me. And maybe this is part of, you know, the media has swept me up too, but it seems like there's the original thing that triggered something. And then there's the media report on that. And once the media reports on that, everything gets out of control, including the, you know, perceived mental health of folks who want to exercise violence in the pursuit of what they believe. Yeah. I, I, and, and, so there's something that uh, probably should have covered uh, earlier. The media engages in what's called agenda setting theory or right, agenda yeah, setting. Yeah. There's actually a theory to go along with it. But the way it works is if you keep seeing the same story talked about, you will start to talk about the same story and you will start to talk about it in the same ways that the media sets it up. And in our country, the media sets everything up for the most part on two planes so the, we end up arguing over one thing and we have to pick a side on it. So in this particular case, you argue for Paul Pelosi being attacked or are you against it? And, on, and unwittingly, I mean, stupidly, people get sucked up in this debate because yeah, both sides are wrong. It's not right? the question. Yeah. It's not the question at all. Right. So if you're saying, well, this is this is exactly what we come to respect from Republicans. Well, dude, there's a lot of Republicans. There's tens and tens of millions of them. If they were hell-bent on doing violence to Democrats, holy cow, it would be a lot higher. And by the way, Democrats should be scared because Republicans got more guns, okay? So that's, yeah. like, this is absurd. And then the flip side is, th is that the Republicans start fighting back on this stuff. Well, no, we wouldn't do that. We didn't endorse that. We, we're not for, you know, violence. So instead, we're going to go start talking about a conspiracy theory where the Democrats set this whole thing up to kind of snooker you all right before the election. So Paul Pelosi took a, uh, started getting brained with a, a bat, I mean, with a, a hammer for the benefit of the Democrats, uh, his, his wife trying to hold on to the speakership. Really? And that's not the story. It's not the story. I mean, it's, it's news, it's a, but it's not the, it's not the core yeah. of the issue here. Yeah. So the, the, when, it's, when, a, when a tragedy like this happens, when there's a crime that's been committed, we talked about this on school shootings already. The, the the best thing that you can possibly do is wait. Wait for information to start to come in before you start rendering judgments. Now, the, the drive-by media didn't wait a second. They were totally ready. And this is and, and so you can start to understand why, because the, the stuff that comes out next from, from the people on the right is appallingly bad and about, you know, conjectures about Paul Pelosi's character and so forth and what actually happened. Uh, at two two o'clock in the morning, um, but you can start to understand why they have these alternative sources and come up with these theories because they are being blamed 
It's, sure. It, yeah. This was this was their true representative showing up to the house with the hammer. Yeah. Which and it's all this covered on the media, and you see the congressman having to defend right engaging in lawful uh, behavior, honorable yeah. behavior. Going to a gun range is an, uh, and using your weapons is an honorable thing. Folks, practice weapon use. Okay. If you, everybody, anybody see Ukraine? You see what happened over there? Practice your gun use. Okay. How about the um, the illusion? Let's call it an illusion. It is, in fact, a fact that on this ad he had uh, fire Pelosi. Uh, what about the interpretation of that? The media wants it a certain way. Reasonable Republicans want it a different way. Uh, how do we? What's the grace point on that? So we are. Uh... We're stuck inside a conflict machine. Both sides of the political divide, Republican and Democrat, and the media are all in on this game. It's 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 the the whole the whole drive is to get you and me to fight with one another so so that power can be acquired by one side or the other. That's the whole game. And so we rarely talk about issues in a serious way. And we rarely take the time to consider whether or not the government should actually be engaged in these issues. Both sides simply want power. Both are peddling and selling that power. And the best way to get it is kind of a divide and conquer strategy. So, But in the dividing, you, me, the people in this audience, we don't win. Somebody has to lose, guaranteed. We've talked about this before. When the conflict machine's in place, someone has to lose. But, they're, but the only winners, if there are any, are the people that actually win the election and get elected in power and they get to sell that that power out. And I guess and we so, should ask, you know, what are you really doing with all that power, those of you who are elected? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's really the core of it. So you got power. Now what? And every president who's been elected promises a certain chunk of things and delivers a smaller chunk uh, with the available power that really is uh, at their control when they sit at 1600 Pennsylvania or when they, you know, are speaker of the house or when they, they, it, it's, it's, if we looked at this from a results oriented place, our decisions will be much different. Yeah. I, you know, I think it was just episode 19 that we covered this in, but it was in one mm -hmm. of the recent episodes. We actually talked about the notion that it's like being in, it's like prison gangs. You're stuck in a prison and the existential stakes have been raised very, very high. And the only, and, and you almost feel like you have to choose a side, right? Otherwise, you if you're not in one of the two gangs, you could be the one that ends up getting destroyed. And I don't want anybody to forget here as well that politics, so war is politics by other means. The reverse is also true. I mean, look at the number of things that politicians suggest we, we should have a war on, a war on drugs, a war on poverty, a war on illiteracy, war on this, that, and the other. They're selling war. They're selling violence. That's what they have. They have guns and they're able to say to you, here's what you will do. And if you don't do it, we will send men and women with guns to set you straight. They're able to steal money away from people that didn't want to give it in the first place to fund whatever programs they want. And the winner gets to defund those things. And the existential heights keep getting raised and raised and raised and raised and raised. And who's going to get control over this power? But, but who's going out to a second? Because... It's Republicans that are the Second Amendment gun rights people. I'm not talking about the Second Amendment here. I'm not even remotely close to talking about that. No, but, I'm talking but, about the fact that the government funds cops. You don't I, okay, do what yeah, they I'm want you to do. That. They knock on, they, they, they come, they show up at your door. But don't we have a tax, right to show own up. guns so we can shoot back if they show up and we don't like it. 
right? That's the purpose. We'll so how can you? Into, we'll have to get into that another day. That's a separate episode, right? But yes, but you can't sit is. on both sides of that fence, right? No, I, and I don't want to. But I don't want to get off base from where we're at with this sure, with yeah. this conversation here today. What happened in this particular situation is that a man it went into someone else's home. He apparently is not mentally uh, stable. We don't know yet. Like there, there's a lot to learn about this. There's been media reports. His uh, an ex-girlfriend has spoken up about him. I'm not ready to accept that information until better inform until we've got had a better chance to validate and learn more, which comes over time and about what it is that motivated him. But the idea that somehow or other his motive was set in place by Tom Emmer or by anybody else that's running for office right now, that they would want to see that. There's there's no evidence for that point of view. And yes, you can't say yeah. that a man standing in a gun range, with which is a place that people who have guns gather to practice, you know, to rehearse, to make sure that they're using their, their tool correctly, that somehow or other that that is an act of violence that somehow or other that is an act of death and destruction that there's so in a crime, you have to have means motive and, and, and opportunity, right? Yeah, there there's go. no motive here. There's zero motive and there's no organization of an opportunity. Okay. You can't just simply say, well, they have guns. Therefore they want to go do bad things. That's, that's, that's cheap. That's weak. That's irresponsible. That's, that's what that I wanted to hear. Nuance, science, yes. all of it. That's exactly what I wanted to hear because the, you know, with all of the attempt to link crazy conspiracy theories together into some kind of unified purpose in life, unless that purpose actually resonates on a gut level, you're not going to get anywhere. It's going to fizzle out. It might it might make a lot of noise like those, you know, 1800s presidential ads or like any of the ads we hear today. But is it really going to achieve anything? In this particular case, it seems to me that when you see conspiracy behavior, number one, you're hearing the voice of people who feel very weak, out of power, right? So they arrange a, they, they try to explain their failure by explaining just how despicable, just how evil, just how well organized and efficient the bad guys are. And, and then they're going to start trying to find ways to get around that and also speak to each other and understand each other and identify each other because no one wants to be alone in that, uh, in that point of view. So you see this, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I want to take on this conspiracy thing. Can we do that for a second, Bill? Yeah, we've got a little bit of time. All right. Uh, there, I, I, this is analysis that you're only going to get here, ladies and gentlemen. And that is that we tend to try to do things, you know, we try to use some of the tools that Rene Girard uh, supplied about mimetic rivalry and the scapegoat. And there are two attempts to bring scapegoats into this situation. The first one is David DePep. De Pape. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. This is the uh, individual who is alleged to have gone into the Pelosi home and hit Mr. P uh, Pelosi in the head with a hammer, assault, attack him. Um, the media is, you know, very much ready to scapegoat this gentleman and every person who is a Republican along with him. So that's By one implication, side of scapegoat, right? So they're yes. the scapegoat we don't know anything about, and they include everybody else. So this dude is an outsider. He's weak. He has all the hallmarks of somebody that we would put up for sacrifice. He's just the right guy to be that guy. He has no connections, no special power. Uh, he's got nobody representing him. He's got no profile on the scene. He just comes in and he does this act, okay? And, and if he's guilty, he should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. 
that's the solution that we have for that situation. But he becomes kind of the representative, the stand-in. He's imposed upon people who would vote other than for Nancy Pelosi. And we know about this. Here's what we know about the scapegoat. The scapegoat is, is uh, we were exposed by Jesus Christ to the notion that the scapegoat might be innocent. Caiaphas's words that it's better that one man die than that the nation be lost, the people be lost. The, the, you know, the idea that power should stay in place at the expense of individuals. And every so often we got to kill one of them or some of them or some group of them in order to get our point across. We found out that they're innocent. And so what happens is there's an identification that comes with the victims. Being in the victim position is the driver's seat. So the victim in this case is very clearly Paul Pelosi, but Paul Pelosi isn't just a victim who took a shot to the head. He's not someone who had to have surgery. He is a political martyr. He is every Democrat. And so they put him up as their, uh, and the other side then proceeds to scapegoat and sacrifice him. They try to destroy him. So there were, there are literally hashtags on Twitter as we're doing this show, appalling stuff suggesting that he, uh, Pelosi gay lover, Pelosi gate and Pelosi Smollett, meaning that this is fake. Like Jesse Smollett's case was okay. There's a, a, a story out there that, uh, Paul, Pelo uh, that, uh, the guy that came into attack was in his underwear. There's zero evidence for this story. And in fact, it came out of something called the Santa Monica observer. Here's the Santa Monica observers history. Uh, in 2016, they claimed Hillary had died and had a body double late in the campaign. <laughs> uh, months later, they reported that Kanye West had gotten a high-level position in the Interior Department. Right. Yep. I remember. And these. last year, they falsely reported that uh, that Bill Gates was a uh, who's a major funder of vaccine research, and I'm no fan, uh, had been responsible for the polio epidemic. <laughs> he wasn't yes. even. Yeah, he was a kid or not even born when all this stuff was going on. I I, I just, so, I, you know, the very first thing I would ask everybody to do, because I actually know people, this, it just pains me. I know people who peddled some of these conspiracy theories online. Stop. If you don't have sources, and not just sources, credible sources, if you can't source back to your work, then don't make accusations that involve the character of another human being, period. Don't do anything that you don't have evidence for and make sure that evidence is good. Okay. So in some on that point, let me just say this, this is the memory line. I want you to take away on this point, tread carefully when talking about anyone, especially your enemies. Cause it's too easy to scapegoat these people. And it's too easy for each side to try to uh, claim the victim high ground. Oh, the media is so mean to us. They must be not reporting on what's going on in the Pelosi story. So, so now we've got one set of scapegoat. And then we got on the other side, we've got, uh, oh no, this, this politician, you know, he's, he's the victim of a vast conspiracy of Republicans who don't know how to handle truth. You see what this, you see the scapegoating here? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's not skillful. It's not even, you know, a worthwhile scapegoat. And there, there have been at least one of them, right? Yes. So, so how do we get to the grace on this? I mean, I, I understand the spin cycle. I understand the conflict machine. Uh, I understand our need for scapegoating. And I'm saying ours in a very sort of like, let's include everybody in this. For all uh, of sin. Yes. So 
so how do, what's the skillful thing? I mean, we can't all go out and get journalism degrees just to be able to share news, <laughs> right? Right, right. Uh, that's not one of my. Uh, that's not one of the suggestions I'm going to make would, today. Not a suggestion you're going to hear from Grace Arkey. So, uh, so what? But what is the point? I mean, give us something to hang on, hang a hat on here, Jim. I, I think I want to say three things before we go. Uh, first, I want to say that uh, we, we are sponsored by the Zero Aggression Project, which focuses on the zero aggression principle, tries to make it so that everybody hears this idea that it is always wrong to initiate force or use excessive violence to get, get what you want. And essentially, that's what politics is. We agree that we're going to go ahead and use excessive uh, force or initiative force to get what we want. And that's wrong. So this power to to steal and then use the money as you see fit, this power to coerce people that the state has to send cops to the door on a variety of questions that have nothing to do with actual crime. Uh, this, this, this is a bad thing and we've got to get rid of this because this is what makes the stakes so high where people think, well, you know, we've got to fight. We have to go to war with our neighbors, uh, that everything's at stake. Every election becomes hugely consequential and people get a little too lathered up. And I would argue that both this person who invaded uh, Pelosi's home and actually committed violence that is reprehensible and inexcusable, and Martha and 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 and, and Ms. Brennan on Face the Nation, trying to equate uh, going to a gun range with uh, being a violent person I, across the board. This the rhetoric is completely over the top, and it's because the stakes over who's going to run the world are so high. Second. I want to talk, uh, speak out against censorship and cancellation. Increasingly, that's been the arc of this show. We've had more and more episodes about this. Uh, the, the whole argument of cancellation has a flat earth quality to it. Just, it doesn't, it's so simple that it ends up being completely wrong. It doesn't represent events accurately. And, and grace is literally the effort to try to understand, especially people that are harder for you to understand. It's extending favor that's not merited to people who don't deserve it. It's it's saying, hey, wait a minute, dude, what's your issue? I want to actually understand. I want to hear you and I want to understand. So there's no easy answers here. The grace approach is to model the world that you want. We've heard the phrase, maybe people dismissed it as too trite, but it's right. Be the change you want to see. And finally, I, I just I want to say, if we're, if we're going to model the, the world that we come and we can be the change, I want to make it clear, it's not going to be easy. But make sure that your words and acts are characterized by grace. 